Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. I was thinking about a line in that song that we sang which said, you're my first and you're my last, my future and my past. And, um, you know, I was thinking about how many people that I've, I've talked to as a pastor um, that live with a problem in one or both of those areas where, where they live with regret of the past or they live with anxiety about the future. And I remember one time I was just praying about that and I was asking God over and over again, you know, what is it? Why are those things so common, so prevalent? And, uh, and I felt like he, he put something inside of me and, and uh, then when I said it, it made so much sense. And he said, you know, all regret is is remembering your past apart from my blood. Remembering my past apart from the work of my son on the cross. And all anxiety is is, rem- is imagining your future apart from my presence and apart from my promises. So if you struggle with regret, it's because you're remembering things apart from the blood of Jesus. Listen, you couldn't live a perfect life. It's why he came and died and shed his blood for you. Because of those things. Not because you were going to be perfect and need a little sprinkling of blood here and there, but because you would royally screw it up over and over and over and over again. And even after you thought you were doing it right, royally screw it up again. And he sent his son to die to cover that with his blood, to be forgiveness, to make the payment so that you didn't have to. But then there's another part of that. And if you just, if you just believe what he's done, that's awesome. And, and that will remove the regret and that will absolutely remove that, that condemnation and the voice that shuts the voice of the enemy up because when he comes to you and talk, talk to you about your past, the blood of Jesus speaks something better than what he's saying. But don't stop there because now there's all these promises in the Word. And every one of them is for you. And it's not that you've been disqualified by the things that you've done. The enemy can't change God's mind about you, so he'll work really hard to try to change your mind about God. It's just the way he works. Because he can't disqualify you, he'll try to get you to disqualify yourself. And because he knows God will never see you differently, he tries to change the way you see God. And so anxiety is caused by imagining my future, imagining tomorrow, imagining this afternoon, imagining a year from now, a week from now, a month from now, apart from his promises and apart from his presence and not remembering that no matter where I find myself tomorrow, he'll be there with me. That's a promise we have as new covenant believers. He'll never leave us or forsake us. We've got to be careful about some things that we say with good intentions. Like, you know, if you feel far from God, guess who moved? No, if you feel far from God, thank Him that your feelings aren't truth and that His Word is true and that He said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. And that while you may feel far from Him, He's actually just as near as He's ever been because when you became born again, He took up residence inside of you. He cannot come any closer. And people sometimes say, well, you know, the Bible says draw close to God and He'll draw close to you. It says sinners. Draw close to God, He'll draw close to you. That's a one-time thing. That's saying, if you understand that you're a sinner and you need salvation, when you draw close to Him, when you come close to God, He comes close to you. And it's not like, well, He comes and goes as He pleases then based on your actions, because then what you're saying is, my nearness to God is only as good as my behavior. And now suddenly you're stuck in works and you only feel close to God when you've been doing good. And of course we want to do good. Of course we want to live a life that pleases Him. But if we imagine him as coming and going with our actions, then what we're saying is that our ability to not get it right is greater than Jesus' ability to be perfectly right and obedient on our behalf. Because he said, I'll never leave you. 
I'll never forsake you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's why it's important that we don't live by those things called feelings. They're awesome. They're amazing. I'm glad he gave us feelings. You know, we laugh, we have fun, you know, we enjoy all kinds of things in life because we have senses and because we have feelings. But the problem is when we start to live by them and we're not having a feeling that we used to have, suddenly we start internalizing and getting introspective and wondering, what did I do wrong because I'm not feeling that way? And we can't find an answer there because there is no answer there. The answer is only found in truth. That's the only thing that sets us free. And so I just want to pray for anybody here that is dealing with either regret of the past or anxiety of the future. Is there anybody who deals with either of those issues? It's okay. We're not, I mean, we're not going to call you up and make you stand. Yeah, we're not going to stand you up except for you two because you're new. We're going to make you stand up and tell us all what we're dealing with. I'm just kidding. But thank you guys for coming. Um, no, we just want to pray. So just hold your hands up real quick. Church family, just extend your hands towards these people. And let's just thank God that if it's their past, that they would be able to see their past completely covered by the blood of Jesus. That there is nothing in their past that separates them. There is nothing that separates us from the love of God. Height, death, angels, demons, things to present, things to come. So God, we thank you for that. We thank you right now for anybody struggling with remembrance of the past that's causing them to stumble. God, anybody that is disqualifying themselves in their own minds because of the life that they lived, We thank you that that life that they lived was the reason that Jesus came and died and that his blood completely covers them. We silence the voice of the accuser, God. We thank you for true repentance, which is godly sorrow and changing the way that we think. And God, that we would no longer look back at our past and see it apart from his blood and apart from what he's done and apart from who we are, new creations in Christ Jesus. Behold, everything has passed and all things are made new. God, for anybody that's dealing with anxiety as they think about the future, God, that you would come and speak to them. God, that they would open your word and they would see your faithfulness and your promises and who you have been and who you've promised to be, God. And that they would stop imagining tomorrow apart from your promises and apart from your presence. That any day that we imagine living apart from you is a lie. Because you said you would never leave us and you'd never forsake us. So God, when things begin to shout, when things try to raise their voice and exalt themselves against the knowledge of you, that we would take action, God, that we would cast them down to the obedience of Christ, take them captive, and remind ourselves of who you are and who you've promised to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So... um, If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Ezekiel 37. We're going to read two real familiar passages of Scripture. They're stories that every person probably learned. If you went to Sunday school, you probably learned them in Sunday school. And if not, you've heard them over and over again. But I want to use them just to to show us something of the character and nature of God and His desire for man. We've been talking a lot about hearing the voice of God, about the spiritual giftings that we have. And uh, so we talked uh, a few weeks ago just about that, about the fact that if you, if you don't silence the voice of the enemy in your past, it will be a stumbling block for you to hear God because you'll disqualify yourself based on who you were. And you'll think, well, that applies for everybody else but me, without understanding that everybody else was you. Everybody else is you. Everybody has come short of the glory of God. Every person has missed the mark. And that's why he came and died. So that you didn't have to live as that person separated from him, alienated in your mind. But that you could be reconciled to God, become a new creation, filled with his spirit, capable of hearing, and not only hearing from him, but speaking the things that he's showing you. And that's, we, we, you know, we, sometimes prophecy gets this weird thing where it's like, you know, people think you have to stand up, and, and we talked about that, the Old Testament and the New Testament and that kind of stuff, but um, 
But, but basically, prophecy is the ability to hear God and then the ability to speak what God is showing you. And so Ezekiel chapter 37, um, starting in verse 1, says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were many on the surface of the valley. And lo, they were very dry. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, Prophesy over these bones. Say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, that you may come to life. I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you, that you may come alive, and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, sinews were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can open a book and see you. God, that we can open a book and it's alive. That it's not read it once and be done, God. That it's the living word. That it's, it's, it speaks to us, God. It brings life to our bones. It brings uh, seed into the hearts that we have, God. That, that we would produce fruit, God. I pray that as your word goes into the soil of our hearts, Father, that it would produce fruit in our lives, God. That a world that doesn't know you and so badly needs to know you, even the ones that don't know they, know they need to, especially the ones that don't know they need to, God, would taste the fruit of our lives and see that you're good. And that they would want you because of the life that we live by the Spirit of God in us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so God takes Ezekiel and he shows him a vision. We're going to talk about that probably in a, in a message to come about visions and dreams and that kind of stuff. But he takes him in a vision and he brings him to this place. And, and he shows him this valley of dry bones and he asks him a question. And how many of you guys know when God asks you a question, he already knows the answer. Adam, where are you? You're hiding behind a tree that I spoke that came into existence. And you've covered yourself with the leaves of the tree that I spoke that came into existence. How I many of you guys know that God had a pretty good idea of where Adam was? The question was not for God. It was for Adam. Adam, where are you? Adam, I want you to think about where you are. Look at what sin has done. You're hiding from me. You've covered yourself. So God says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? And he's not really wondering... But I think a lot of times God's wondering, what do we see? A lot of times I think God's wondering, where is your heart? Like, because if we're looking at things, hearing the voice of God and believing his promises, if we take the work, that's why testimony is so important. That's why we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, loving our own life, not unto death. Because you remember what God did in your life. And when you see what God's done in your life, you have so much hope for what he can do for other people. So I never allow yourself ever to look at someone and think they're hopeless because if you do that, you're sowing a seed of hopelessness into your own heart and eventually because you believed it about somebody else, the devil will come and use it to get you to believe it about yourself. Because the only way someone's hopeless is if they are beyond the power of God to reach them and nobody is there. But if you start to believe that and you give that a voice in your life because you believe it for other people, sooner or later what you believe for others will be so easy for you to believe about yourself. And so a lot of times when God asks us that, he's just wondering, what do you see? 
So can these bones live? And, and Elijah, or Ezekiel gives him the all-time best answer when God asks a question. Oh Lord, you know. <laughs> I just love that. Cause it's like, God was probably like, hmm. okay. But here's the thing. Sometimes we feel pressured to have an answer where God hasn't given one. It's okay to say, I don't know. The, the older I, I get, the longer I live, the more I learn about him, the more I experience in life, the more I find myself answering questions with, I'm, I don't know. Because I refuse to be forced to speak and give an answer where God hasn't spoken and given one to me. Just for the sake of having an answer. Just for the sake of being able to put a neat little tidy bow on our theology and say we have every answer for every question. I promise you don't. I promise no one does. Because forever we'll be learning of him. And so he says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel gives him the right answer, which is not the wrong answer. God will take any answer but the wrong answer. If Ezekiel says no, then God has to teach him something. Ezekiel, don't you understand that nothing's impossible with me? Ezekiel, don't you understand that I'm the one that spoke those bones into existence the first time, and I put sinew, and I put flesh on them, and I put breath on them to begin with, and I'm equally capable of speaking again and causing it to happen. You'd have to teach him all that stuff, but because Ezekiel doesn't say no. A lot of times, God doesn't really care what your answer is as long as it's not no. He's just looking for something other than unbelief. You don't have to have the perfect theology. You know, there's things that will happen in your life that you don't have theology for. If a donkey spoke to you tomorrow, you'd be able to find that in the Bible, so you'd have theology. But what if it wasn't a donkey? Or what if it wasn't in the Bible? How would you explain that? Because it's in the Word. Like, God is fully capable of having a donkey speak. He has me up here. (laughs) He's fully capable of having a donkey speak. But sometimes, you know, we, we, we feel like if we don't have a theological explanation for it, then, then we can't either believe it or we can't speak about it. But it's okay sometimes just to say to God, I, well, you know, Lord. And so he says, all right, Ezekiel, here's what I want. I want to show you my heart for these bones. I'm going to speak to you and tell you what I want you to declare because I have a desire for these bones. See, this is, I, don't, I don't want to make this all about the fact that it was a vision and all that because then we lose the fact that in this is revealing the character and nature of the Father. That He looks at things and sometimes He speaks to His people and says to them, I want to know if you believe that I can do something with something that looks impossible or with something that looks dead. There were dry bones. Like it points out they were dry. Like if they were freshly, you know, wet bones, it would make a difference, you know. But it just goes to the furthest extent. It's as far removed from being human as possible while still having something that's recognizable. It just hasn't returned to dust yet, but it was right there at the point of returning to dust. It's as far gone. It's as impossible for life as, as you can find while still resembling something that's human. And he says, I want to know if you believe that there's something possible when you're looking at something that seems so impossible. And because Ezekiel says, Lord, you know. Because Ezekiel doesn't say, I don't see a way. Be really careful when you look at something and you deem it hopeless and you start to tell the God of the universe that there's no way that it could happen. Listen, He didn't need your permission to create you. He doesn't need your permission to change something. But sometimes he wants to cooperate and work together with a person to actually bring about the change that he desires. 
Not because he has to, but because he chooses to. So he calls his servant. He says, I'm going to show you my heart for this valley of bones. I'm going to reveal to you my desire, but I want you to speak and bring what I have desired in my heart about. I want you to open your mouth and you speak. And when you do, you'll see the thing that's in my heart come to fruition in front of your eyes. And I promise he's still doing the same thing today. I promise he hasn't changed. That he still sees things that look impossible to people and he still is wondering, is there anybody out there who believes that I can actually speak to these dry bones and everything changes and they come to life? Is there anybody who will actually believe that my heart for something is not that it would stay the way that it is, but that it would change to what it was supposed to be all along? And so he says to Ezekiel, all right, Ezekiel, I'm going to entrust you with this and this is what I want you to do. I want you to say over these bones... I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you that you may come alive, and you will know that I am the Lord. So Ezekiel says, okay. I mean, he's talking to the Lord in a vision, and sometimes I think, you know, we, we get this idea that, well, if God would do that, listen, an angel appeared to Gideon, and he made him tested with a fleece. And then he did it, and he made it test with again. Like, make everything but the fleece wet. You're talking to an angel, and then you tell him, make everything but the fleece wet, and he does it, and then you say, okay, well, make just the fleece wet this time. You know, like, don't think that, like, just because God shows up in a certain way that it automatically means belief. The, the, the Pharisees knew every single promise, every single um, uh, a prophecy about the coming Christ. They studied the Scriptures so that when Jesus walked onto the scene, when the Messiah came on the scene, they would know it was Him and they wouldn't miss it. And Jesus looked at them and said, in vain, you study the Scriptures thinking that you find Me. But these are those that point to Me. What is He saying? He's saying, you guys know everything and yet the One who you claim to know everything about is standing in front of you doing everything that is prophesied. He's of Nazareth, but born in Bethlehem. He's born of a virgin. He's from the right tribe. He's born at the right time. There's a star in the sky. Like, everything has aligned. All these prophecies, and there's just so many prophecies. And he's saying, you've seen every one of these prophecies fulfilled. And you've dedicated your life to knowing them so you can find me. And here I am, standing in front of you, healing the sick, Raising the dead, cleansing the leper, casting out demons, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, which is what Isaiah said that the Savior would come and do. I'm doing all these things. I'm standing in front of you, and you're busy with your nose in the book trying to find the one that the book is promising when he's standing in front of you. So, let's give them some credit. Because at least they were studying and searching for the one. And let's not quickly assume that just because they missed it, that we wouldn't miss it if we were in the same boat. I, listen, that's why I'm so quick to not judge people. Because I am so fully aware that if I had been alive when Jesus was alive, I probably would have been a Pharisee. Think about it. You're standing there and a friend comes up to you and says, dude, I was at a party and we ran out of wine. And then... 
You know the perfect one? The one who was born of a virgin? He tells them, take those big things of water, pour them into these other big things, and suddenly it becomes wine, and it's the best wine anyone's ever tasted. I am fully aware that I would probably say, why would God do that? Why would would God do that? Why would God create so much wine that everybody at the party could get drunk if they chose to? He would never do that. I, I would have such an opinion on that. Or someone came to me and said, I was, I was over here and, and I saw Jesus, I saw this guy rub mud into a blind man's eyes and the blind man could see. Well, okay, well, if the blind man could see, I mean, if he can do that, then why doesn't he free us from Rome? If he can make blind eyes come to life and see, and, and, and he's supposed to be the one who frees us from the bondage of the kingdom that has enslaved us, because this is what they're waiting for. If he can do that, why doesn't he set us free? Why waste your time with one person when you could do it for an entire nation? Well, I saw there was this kid who was bound up with demons and his dad came and brought him and, and his disciples couldn't, but Jesus spoke and suddenly the demon and the kid was set free. There was this man who they bound in chains and he used to gash himself and he was so strong they couldn't contain him and he would break the chains and he would just beat himself with these chains. Everybody's terrified and Jesus comes along and says to him, be free and the man is completely set free. Well, if he can do that for one person, why doesn't he do it for all of us if he's God? I, I, I'm not... I'm not going to say that that wouldn't be me. So just be really careful that we don't allow opinions that we shouldn't have to trump experiences that He desires that we would. And so, so all He wants to know when He shows up in this vision is, Ezekiel, can you look at something that looks hopeless and determine whether there's hope based on what I say versus what you see? That's it. That's the question he has for Ezekiel. Can you look at something that looks completely hopeless to your eyes and make your decision on what is possible based on what I say versus what you see? And I promise you he's asking that same question to all of us. I promise all he wants are people that can look at something that seems hopeless and make a decision about what's possible based on what he's saying, not based on what they see. So Ezekiel believes God. And there's, there's something else in here that when I was reading this, I, I caught it, and I just, it was a corrective thing for me a little bit, but you know, there's, there's, a lot of popular teaching says, like, well, God doesn't see what's wrong. And that's not true. But he doesn't see what's wrong as being permanent. He sees what's wrong through the perspective of believing that it can be what it was supposed to be. He doesn't say, can these fully formed human beings with sinews, muscle, and skin, with breath in their lungs, come back to life, son of man? He says, can these dry bones? He doesn't ignore the fact that they're dry bones. But he also doesn't let that fact stop him from believing what's possible. He sees what's wrong. Jesus was moved by compassion. Why did he have compassion? Because he saw what was wrong. But he also believed what could be right. 
just be careful with that. You know, like, well, we just we never see anything that's wrong because we see no man according to the spirit. Well, believe this. If you're seeing according to the spirit, you may see things that are wrong, but never let what you see that's wrong be the loudest voice. Let the voice of God that's showing you what it can become and what it was always meant to be be the one that you listen to and believe and act upon. So Ezekiel speaks to the bones. Whose idea was it to bring the bones back to life? Not your question. <laughs> Whose idea was it? It was God's, right? Ezekiel said, God took me into a vision. God showed me the bones. And God said, this is what I'm going to do. You prophesy. Who had the ability to bring life to the dead bones? And again, not your question. Only God can give life. Only God had the ability to do what he was saying. But who had the responsibility to be obedient to the voice of God in order for it to happen. Ezekiel. See, sometimes we, we, in the desire to be humble, will say things like, well, you know, I can do nothing. Yeah, you can apart from Him, but you're not apart from Him because you're in Him. And so... As long as we understand that it's not me that's doing it, but it's actually the power of God that's in me doing it, we're going to be okay. But don't, in the, in, in the desire to be humble, you know, like it's, it's like the people that in the desire of humble, humbleness will say, well, my, my righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. Well, it, it was filthy rags, absolutely. The best you could do was, was as filthy rags before the Lord. That's why he became sin that knew no sin, that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Because he doesn't want you to walk around with righteousness that's his filthy rags. He wants you to walk around with the righteousness of Christ. So he became sin so that you could become righteous. He didn't act sinful so you could act righteous. He became something so that you could become something else. He actually became sin so that you could become righteous. And so, so Ezekiel had a, had a responsibility to hear the voice of the Lord. God wanted to put breath back into their lungs. God wanted to put sinew and skin and all these things. It was His desire. But yet He asks a man to speak on His behalf and it doesn't happen until the man actually believes God, hears His voice, and then speaks what God is saying that the things that God said would happen start to happen. And I promise you there's going to be times in your life where there's going to be things going on around you or people around you that God wants to reach and God is asking you, can you see what I want to do? Can you hear my voice? Do you know that I want to speak to that person? Do you even, do we even, do we even consider that every single day when we wake up that every person we meet is someone that was created in the image and likeness of God and that He loves them just as much as He loves me and He sent His Son to die for the entire world, not just for the select few. And many are called, few are chosen. Why are few chosen? Because few receive. I'm, listen, Every single day you encounter people who if they were to die that day would spend eternity separated from God. But, but as much as that, they're spending this life separated from Him as well. They could know Him. This is eternal life. That they would know and you and the one true God and believe in the Son whom you sent. They could start living eternal life today if they would actually know God and believe in the Son whom He sent. And every day you meet people who are like that. And I believe God's in heaven saying, can these bones live? Like, Roy, as you look at Greenville, 
Roy, as you look at this person, Roy, as you look at that person, Roy, as you look at this nation, Roy, as you see these things, as you turn on the news, or as you talk to people, or you hear broken stories, what are you more aware of? Are you more aware of the dryness of the bones, or are you listening to hear my voice to know what I'm saying and what my heart is for those bones? Because I created those bones. I didn't create them to just lay in the wilderness and die. I created them to know me so they could actually come to life. That's what the gospel does everywhere it goes. It brings life. And so, I'm so far ahead of myself here. Notice there's something that Ezekiel has to say twice. He says, prophesy to the breath. He tells the very first thing he says to him is prophesy to the breath. He says, prophesy over the bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. First thing he says, tell them I'm going to cause breath to come into you that you may enter into life. Then he says, the last thing. He says, I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you that you may come alive and you will know that I am the Lord. So two times he says to prophesy that God's going to put breath into him. The very first thing and the very last thing he says to tell him is I'm going to put breath in you and you're going to come to life. Yet Ezekiel prophesies and what's the one thing that doesn't happen? There's no breath. Don't be discouraged and give up if God shows you something and you speak what He tells you to speak and you don't instantly see what He told you you would see. Because Ezekiel could have looked and saw that there was no breath and turned around and walked away. And I believe those people would have, in the vision, those people would have stood there for the rest of their lives with no breath, fully formed, and ready for the breath of God without receiving the breath. Because discouragement came. Because what he heard God say and what he saw God do for a moment didn't match up. And if, he had, if the Lord had to speak personally to Ezekiel two times, and tell him to prophesy two different times about the breath of God for it to happen. Don't be discouraged if you have to tell somebody something over and over and over and over again. Don't grow weary in well-doing. For in due time, you'll reap a reward if we do not faint. If we don't give up. So Ezekiel says to him, so then he says, alright, there's more you need to say. Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. Say to the breath. See, there's a pause there. He says, and I looked and behold. So Ezekiel stops speaking and he looks and he sees everything. But rather than being discouraged and saying, well, I guess this wasn't God. How many times have we, have we felt like God showed us something and we started to do it or we acted on it and we didn't instantly see what we thought we, God had told us we would see and so we get discouraged and we walk away. I wonder how many times things were just about to happen if all we would have done is just paused and looked at it and waited for God to speak again rather than turning our backs and walking away. And he says, alright son of man, prophesy to the breath. Say, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then look what God says a little bit later in the same chapter of Ezekiel 37, verse 14. He's telling Ezekiel what this means. He's telling him what to say. He says, 
It's for the children of Israel. And the last thing he says to him is, I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life. So this is a picture of what God wants to do with his people. And I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. You know what's amazing about this is even though he invites Ezekiel in and even though he asks Ezekiel to play a part, when everything is said and done, the Lord stands there and says, I did this. You know why? I think there's two reasons. The first is because he wants the glory. Because he deserves the glory. Because it doesn't matter what Ezekiel stands on a mountain and says to dry bones. If it's not the word of the Lord and if the breath of God doesn't come, there's no life coming anyways. But I think there's a second part to that. I also think he wants to take the responsibility from seeing what he told us to declare or seeing what he showed us would happen away from our hands and let us understand. Even when I call you to declare something, you're not responsible for the outcome. You've never been called to a results. You've always only been called to obedience because I'm the one that does it. I may ask you to play a part in it, but don't you start worrying about it and don't get anxious and don't you start thinking, well, what did I do wrong? Well, certainly God must have, or maybe this or maybe that, and working yourself up. If I've been obedient to God, I can trust that He will do what He said He would do because He promised that every word that He speaks would not return to Him void without accomplishing that which He sent it forth to do. And I can stand there and say, I heard what God showed me. I saw what God showed me. I heard what God said. I believe I did what God asked me to do. And I believe that he will do it because it's not my responsibility. It's not my name. It's for the sake of his great name that he'll do it. He's never called me to defend his name. He's only called me to be obedient. We get so worried about these things. You know, like we, we pray, the Bible says to pray for the sick, so we pray for the sick, we don't see it happen, and suddenly we get all these worries and all these fears, and we start self-pointing and self-doubting, and we start going, well, what about if people, and what if I pray, and it doesn't happen, and what are they going to think? And God never asked you to defend them. He just asked you to love people. He never asked you to figure out the what-ifs and all that kind of stuff. All He asked you to do was just be obedient. He never called you to results. He said there would be fruit if the Spirit of God abided in you. In other words, if the Spirit of God is in you, there's going to be proof of it in your life. But it's not your responsibility to produce the fruit. The Spirit of God living in you produces the fruit. (laughs) It's okay. Hey, we have a room right there that has a speaker in it. You can take him in there and you can feed him in there or you can take him in the back. Either way. It's awesome. (laughs) You all did the same thing at one point in your life. Every one of you. You were a noise at one end and a mess at the other. (laughs) Some of y'all still are. (laughs) That wasn't God. (laughs) That was Roy. (laughs) So... I was just, in pondering all this that I just shared, I was asking God, so God, what are, the, what are the reasons that, what are the things that keep us from this? What are the reasons, why don't we see more of this? Why don't we see more people actually hearing your voice and just boldly declaring it? And I'm not just saying like hearing God speak in like an audible tone or seeing Him in a vision, but His Word is full of His words for people, His voice for people. Why are people not getting with Him and getting His word and actually boldly declaring it, believing that it contains the power to transform? And so um, He brought a verse into my, my memory. You know, 
Jesus said one of the things that the Holy Spirit would do is he said he will bring into remembrance of you all these things which I've spoken. You know, it's hard to remember something that you didn't know to begin with. That's why knowing the Word of God is so important because it's actually in there and at the right time the Holy Spirit brings it up and you actually understand and you use it and then you actually use it in a way and in a time with which it brings forth fruit. And so like if you don't know, if you don't love reading the Bible, like fall in love with reading the Bible and understand I'm knowing Him through this. Don't read the Bible so that you can go spout things to people. Read the Bible so that it can spout inside of you and change your life. And if you, re- listen, I, I do, I'm doing this thing where I'm, I'm working with some younger guys that really, you know, they have a desire to speak and a, and a calling on their life and stuff. And I said, listen, here's the thing, is that I want to help you with, the, with the, the actual skill involved in speaking, because there's a skill to it, right? And, there, and there's something that you can actually sharpen and you can work on. And I said, but, but you have to be with him to have something that's worth communicating to begin with. You have a message inside of you because you actually spend time with him and you know him. But it's just as important as that is if I have a message inside of me, it's really nice to be able to put it in a way that people can actually understand it. And so that's what we're going to work on. And so, um, anyways, that's a side note. But he brought me to this verse, and it's uh, from Psalm 46.10. And everyone knows this verse. It says, be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And I realize there's so many things that want to be God in our lives. You guys realize that we live in the most distracted generation that has ever walked the face of this earth. You don't ever have to be bored. When was the last time you sat and were bored? You weren't, because the second you start to get bored, you pull out your phone, or your iPad, or your laptop, or you turn on a pod- you turn on a podcast. We can be distracted instantly. We never have to be bored. But it also means that we have a hard time just being still before Him and knowing that He's God. We see these things, right? Like we see this, whatever these dry bones are. They may be things in your own life. They may be things in the lives of people around you. Whatever it is, whatever the dry bones in your life are, a lot of times we see these dry bones, but we don't actually get before Him and just be still and realize, you know what? You're God, not that situation. And that situation speaking so loud, and it's demanding my attention, but it's not God. You are. So I'm going to get still before you, and I'm going to, that's how we be still and know that he's God. It doesn't mean be still and like suddenly learn, oh my gosh, you're God. It means actually to be still and know you're God. Not that voice that's shouting over there for my attention. And, 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 and when we say this, listen, when we say this, every time, a lot of times what's preached and what we hear are bad things that try to take our attention. And, and those things, they, they're bad, right? Like, those are bad. They're not good. If, if there's sin in your life, like, that's not just a distraction. It's actually death. But what about good things? See, because we can become so distracted with good things that we miss the main things. Jesus was talking... Uh, in the Gospel of Luke, it says, now as they were traveling along, Luke 10, if you want to look it up, it'll be on the screen. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word, but Martha was distracted with all of her preparations. She came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my... You know how many times people ask Jesus, don't you care? If they would have known and understood his character, they would have understood he always cares. If it doesn't seem like he cares, it's because what you think isn't really that important. 
the storm really wasn't that important. Don't you care that we're dying? If you were dying, I'd care. But you're not dying, so no, I don't care about the storm. We give so much credit to these things. That was God. That was God in their life right then. They had God in the flesh in the boat with them. And a storm suddenly louder than his voice, which said, let us go to the other side. He didn't say, let's go to the middle and die. He said, let's go to the other side. Meaning what? We're going to go to the other side. If you just be obedient, do what I said to do. So if you've done it, trust that we'll get there. So they say, Lord, don't you care that we're dying? And it's not that he doesn't care that they're dying. It's that he doesn't care that they think they're dying because he knows the truth. But because he loves them, he quiets the storm. And so she says, Lord, do you not care that my sisters left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. In other words, don't you care? And she doesn't even let him answer because Jesus doesn't say, yes, I care. She says, don't you care? Then tell her to help me. Like assuming that of course Jesus wants her to help me. And Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. Jesus is saying, look, Mary, you're letting all these things distract you and you're missing out on the one thing that should be the thing that you care about. And, and I love that he didn't use something evil as an example in this story. He actually used something that's good that we're called to. The Bible says to be hospitable. It says to serve each other. So he's saying, Mary, or Martha, listen to me. You've taken something I've told you to do, and you've let that be God in this situation, and you care more about something I've asked you to do than the fact that I'm here in your home and you could be at my feet listening to my voice. Martha, there's going to be time for all that stuff, but when I'm speaking, there's one thing that matters, and that's that you're at my feet being still and hearing what I'm having to say. And and Martha doesn't understand this because she's like, you know, so many of us were like, well, God, I've been serving you, and God, I've been doing what you said, and I've been doing, and we don't understand that we've been doing, 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 but we haven't taken a few minutes to just get alone with him and find out what is his heart for the situation. Because sometimes doing a good thing is actually harmful because it's not the right thing. Like, you know, there's, there's times where like, there, there was a time I had a, a friend of mine and I kind of had this, this, there was this, this weirdness, right? And, and I wanted to confront it and I wanted to, you know, because that's what you do. You confront it in love and go after that thing. And you don't, you know? You get militant with it, and you're like, no, I'm not bowing to you, Satan. I'm going to go after that thing, and I'm going to in love, and all this stuff. And I just felt like God said, shh, shh, shh. I'm, I, I'm God, I, I just pray for boldness as I say, shh, shh, shh. And just get quiet for a minute. Seek his heart. And in an instant, he showed me what was wrong. And it wasn't at all what I thought. He said, here's what's really going on. And he showed me what was going on in the person's heart. And I had such compassion and love for them. And a week later, we sat down. And we started talking. And I said, I feel like I want to tell you what was wrong. Because I feel like God just opened your chest and showed me your heart. And I told him exactly what God said to me. And he looked at me with a big smile and tears in his eyes. He said, you're exactly right. And you know what? God told me that you would come and tell me that. And that's how I would know that I can trust you and that you're still hearing him. 
what if I just run after it and do what I know God's called me to do and I'm military and I'm not going to back down and all this stuff and God's over there going, listen, I don't want you to do all that stuff right now. Martha, relax. I know that, that there's a command to be hospitable. I know it says to serve each other. But above all that, it says to seek me. I want to know you. We're so busy trying to be used that we don't understand that God doesn't want to use you. He wants a relationship with you. He said that to me just recently. I was praying about being used. And, and, and it was so, this is just, he's so kind, right? And so he said, Roy, I don't want you to think that I'm like getting hung up on words. I, I know what you mean, but I want to make sure that you understand I don't want to use you. I want a relationship with you, and from that will flow everything that I created you for. But I have no intention of using you up. I want a relationship with you. I trust that my goodness will flow through you, and that everything I created you for to accomplish will be accomplished. I don't want to use you. I want to love you. This is what Jesus is saying to Martha. Martha, listen, that's all good stuff. You're worried about all these things. If we're not careful in our lives, we'll be worried about so many things and there'll be so many things that, are, that we're mindful of and so many voices vying for our attention and so many things that we make a bigger deal than the one thing that's really important. And then he says to her, she's chosen the one thing that's important. She's chosen that one thing. There was a whole room full of things she could have done. There was a whole household. There's a whole book full of things telling her what to do. She chose the one thing, and it won't be taken from her. What was he saying? He's saying, listen, because she chose me, she has something that won't be taken from her. Never be taken from her. What? She heard the voice of God speak as she sat at His feet. When you receive something from God as revelation, it could be through someone speaking, right? It could be through a person. That's why it's important to ask God, God, what are you saying to me? Don't hear the message for somebody else and don't listen to the message to critique the message. Ask God, God, if this is you speaking, what are you saying to me? And then receive what He has for you through what's being said. When you open your Word, don't just open it up so that you can check it off the list and say, I read the Bible today. If that's all you do, then I mean, if that's where you're at, do that. But ask Him to change your heart so that you're not reading it as something to check off a list. Don't stop reading it. Because at least it's going in you. There's, a, there's seed being sown and He'll bring increase to it. But, but when you read the Word, don't just read it just to read the Word. Actually open it up and say, God, if this is You, then what do You want to say to me? What can I receive from You today? Because what you receive as revelation from the Father will never be taken away from you. What you receive from a man as information can be stripped away as soon as a circumstance comes that opposes what was given to you. You can take something as information and you can walk around, you can quote it all day long when there's nothing in your life that opposes it. You know, no weapon formed against me will prosper, but you don't really understand the heart of the one who spoke it and you received it as information as something you say. But the second that some weapon comes against you and looks like it's prospering, you turn tail and run and ask God why His Word isn't true. I mean, not anybody in this room, but the podcasters I have heard are prone to do that sometimes. The podcasters are prone sometimes to let circumstance dictate truth rather than every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. 
And then as important as knowing what God's heart is, is knowing when. Proverbs 25.11 says, Like apples in gold, of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. So the, the word is a golden apple. Like it's truth from God's mouth. It's truth from His word. It's truth that He's spoke. It's truth that He's revealed to you. So it's a golden apple. It's, it's just absolutely amazing. But knowing when to present that golden apple to somebody is like putting it on a silver plate that makes it attractive. Because you could have the right word and share it at the wrong time. You could have the right truth and share it with the wrong heart. You want to make sure, God, I know what you've said, but I want to make sure that what I'm saying is not only what you've said, but how you want it said and when you want it said. I don't just want to rush off and start opening my mouth and saying these things. I don't want to cast pearl before swine. I don't want to take something of of absolute value and present it to somebody when they're at a place in their life where they have no value for it, which is what a pearl before swine is. You're taking revelation. You're taking the most precious thing. It says he values his word above even his own name. He said, my name will be exalted in the earth. But then he says, and above that thing that's going to be exalted is my word. So what's the most valuable thing to God? It says he values it above even his own name. So if he considers it that valuable, then when he gives you his word, he, inte- he expects that you'll value it the same. What is he saying? Don't take something of, in, of immense value and give it to somebody who has no value for it. Or they'll tread it underfoot and it'll be just like any other piece of dirt. So start asking God, God, I know this is what you said. God, when do you want me to say it? When do you want me to share it? When I had that situation with my friend, I wanted to immediately call him when God showed me his heart. And he said, wait. So I waited. And when I actually waited until he told me it was time to share it, it carried the full weight of heaven on it. Because it was not only what he said, it was when and in the circumstances he wanted it said. Just being honest. Like, let's ask God, just God, how many things in my life right now are competing to be God? Like, I'm just going to close up with this, but I just want, I want us to, to actually consider that before we always have an answer for everything, that maybe we should actually get before Him and be still and know that He's God. And that when, when, he, when we're looking at a situation, that we're not looking at it and saying, well, that there, there's nothing but dry bones there. That doesn't take any bit of faith. It says the just live by faith. It doesn't take faith to look at dead bones and call them dead bones. It takes faith to look at dead bones and think that God might see something different and seek His heart and say, God, this is what I see. What do you see? Because I don't want to open my mouth and speak out of what I see. I want to open my mouth and speak out of what you're saying, out of what you see. God, would you let me see the way you do? Anybody can look at the alcoholic and say they're an alcoholic. It takes faith to look at the alcoholic and see them as someone who's no longer a slave to something they were never meant to be a slave for and to believe that maybe God will put the words in my mouth and the power of God in my, in, in the, because of the Spirit within me to see them changed and no longer be an alcoholic and be the person that God created them to be. Does it take any bit of faith for Jesus to look at the prostitute and call her a prostitute? That's what the Pharisees did. They say, if He knew who she was, He'd never let her touch Him. The truth of the matter is he's the only one in the room that did know who she was. That's why he let her touch him. Because he knew who he was. 
And he wasn't worried about her because greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. And Jesus believes if the sick come and touch the clean, the clean don't become sick, the sick become clean. That's why lepers would come and shout, unclean, 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 and all that stuff, and Jesus would just walk right towards them. Why? He's so much more confident in the power of God that's in him than anything else that's in the world. We don't run away from that stuff. But we also don't rush at it blindly without getting with Him and saying, God, I want to know Your heart. I want to just be still, God. I'm going to shut out distraction. I'm going to turn off the device. I'm going to shut, mute this, mute that, whatever it is that I have to do, God. I'm going to get alone before You in a world that is screaming for my attention and is available on demand anywhere I go at any time. I mean, it's like Wi-Fi. Is, is like, if you go into a place with no Wi-Fi nowadays, you're almost, like, offended. <laughs> like, how dare they not have an way for me to access the internet while I'm in their property? They want me to come in here. They better make that. It's like, are we so, are we serious? Like, we've become so accustomed to being able to distract ourselves at all times that if we go somewhere that we can't distract ourselves, it almost seems like a nuisance. And we'll avoid it. But what about just getting alone with Him and not being distracted and saying, God, I want to be still before You and I want to just know that You're God in this circumstance. That You're God in this situation. That the addiction isn't God. That the disease isn't God. That the financial issue that I'm facing isn't God. That nothing that would exalt itself against You is God in this situation. I want to know that You're God. And I want to know Your heart and I want to hear what You're saying because when I open my mouth, I want You to come out. Not me. Because if it's me, it doesn't change anything. But if it's him, it changes everything. God, I just thank you for that. I thank you that you've given us the ability to hear your voice. Jesus, that you said, my sheep hear my voice and know my voice. God, that we can not only hear your voice among all the other voices, but that we can actually know which one is you. That we recognize your voice above the howling storm. And in a sea of voices, we recognize the one. And we choose the one. And what we receive from you will never be taken from us. God, I ask that we would just be so open to seeing the way that you see, God. That we would never look at something as hopeless, God. That if the best answer we have is, Lord, you know. That the most faithless answer we would ever give would be, oh Lord, you know. That our faith would never drop below a level of saying, God, you know. But that we would continue to believe that with you all things are possible. I just ask that, that, that you would put that excitement in us, God, that we're carriers of your gospel. That we have the good news. That there's life inside of us. When we open our mouth and speak your word, God, that life comes out. I just thank you for that, God. Would you help us to just be more and more aware of you? In Jesus' name, amen.